Welcome to Behind the Line, where we pull back the curtain on the challenges facing first responders and frontline workers. The work you do is unique, and so are the stresses that go with it. Join me as we tackle key issues to reduce risks for burnout, and as we work to support you in doing the job you love without sacrificing being the kind of person you want to be. Hey there, and welcome back to Behind the Line. I'm Lindsay Foss. I'm a clinical counselor specializing in trauma therapy by day and a wellness advocate and educator for first responders and frontline workers by night. Behind the Line is a place for us to talk about the real life behind the scenes challenges facing you on the front lines. I created this podcast with the hope of bringing easy access to skills for wellness, allowing you to find greater sustainability both on the job and off. This is our second episode and I'm so glad you're here with me today. Today we're talking about how to implement a strategic action plan to be a preventative strategy for wellness. Last time, we talked about a serious problem that exists within first response and frontline work systems, which is a systemic level tendency toward reactive supports rather than proactive supports offered through many workplaces and unions. Last time, and if you didn't get a chance to listen to it, I would encourage you to go back and listen to episode one. We identified that many systems and organizations that support first responders and frontline workers have a tendency toward offering support in reaction to bad things that have happened. And in these lines of work, bad things have to be pretty freaking terrible to count. We also discussed that many workplaces seem to pay only lip service to preventative strategies by doing things like sending out a newsletter with reminders of your limited session employee assistance program counseling or other things kind of like that. We identified the cumulative stressors associated with the kind of work you do and the reasons for why a reactive approach to offering access to wellness supports fails to meet the needs of our amazing community helpers. When we left off, I shared about a free tool I created a little over a year ago Yes, before COVID hit and all hell broke loose. The tool is called the Beating the Breaking Point Indicators Checklist and Triage Guide, which I developed in an effort to help first responders and frontline workers to assess their own level of stress or burnout. And it offers some tools to develop a kickstart action plan for burnout prevention or reduction. If you didn't get a chance to snag access to the checklist last time, I've included it again in the show notes today, and yes, it's totally free. At the end of last time, I said that this week we would be talking about how we do a strategic action plan. So today we're going to talk about a key principle in developing a strategic action plan and some skills to start formulating and implementing an action plan. As I just mentioned, today I want to talk about a key principle involved in developing a strategic action plan. The thing about calling an action plan strategic is that it has to be based on something. It's not just an action plan where we do stuff willy-nilly and hope that it works and that something sticks. It's a strategic action plan, which means there's a strategy, a thoughtfulness, an intention in how we set the plan up and why we choose to set it up in a given way. If you've watched Netflix recently, you may have seen the trailer for a new Netflix limited series called The Queen's Gambit. If you haven't, check it out. It's pretty interesting. 
The Queen's Gambit is a fictional story about a young girl in the 1950s who becomes a chess prodigy. She plays meticulously, and her capacity for a strategy is incredible. She gets the game to its core, and this depth of understanding allows her to play unlike anyone else and outplay everyone else. Understand that to an amateur, the moves on a chessboard are a bit random and reactive to the moves of our opponent. But to a master, the moves are plotted and crafted to create specific openings, anticipating specific responses, and to guide the play toward victory. We have to approach wellness action planning in a similar kind of way. We need to understand the depths of the game to be able to master it. So when we talk about the concept of a key principle, know that what we're talking about is fundamental to mastering the game of working on the front lines. All of the action planning bits and pieces are the moves based on this fundamental understanding. They can either be random and that of an amateur, or they can be carefully crafted to yield the desired result. So what is the key principle involved in developing a strategic action plan, you're wondering? Today, we're talking about resilience. Okay, be honest. What came to mind when you heard me say that word, resilience? I find that I get fantastically interesting responses when I say that word, particularly from first responders and frontline workers, and especially since the advent of COVID. For some of you, resilience is a familiar concept and one you've been seeking out to better understand and embody. Maybe you found some resources that talk about this topic and help you implement some strategies. For others, and the reason I say I get fantastically interesting responses from those I talk to about this, it's that it seems to feel like a buzzword It's a word that comes up often, it feels kind of fluffy and not applicable on a personal level, or it's used in passing to mean to do something to help yourself, but isn't offered with any idea of where to start or how to do that. Most especially since COVID, I hear more and more frontline workers sharing about how they feel sick of hearing the word resilience. It's like this impossible thing to achieve when the demands of the work are so high. The demands of life outside of work are also high. And there is an unrelenting awareness that we are living and working in a pandemic. I hear often that resilience is this great idea in theory, but gets sticky in practice. And usually I find that it's because we're working with the wrong definition. I think to most people, resilience means bouncing back. Simple, right? Except that in its simplicity, it feels somewhat useless or not applicable. It brings up ideas of thinking positively, not being affected by the hard stuff that comes up day to day, and being able to carry on in the face of adversity. Like magic, right? But when you do a job that means constantly staring into the eyes of some of the very hardest moments for our fellow humans, how are we supposed to just keep bouncing back? Time and time and time again, 
How do you stay positive? How does this happen? How do we do resilience? Well, let's start out by acknowledging that resilience is not about bouncing back as if unaffected by the hard things we confront day to day. Like I said before, generally, I think we're working with the wrong definition. What resilience really is, is an ability to recover from or adjust to misfortune, stress, or change in a way that accepts the truth of the suffering, acknowledges the depth of impact the suffering has, and seeks to make the suffering and its impacts a meaningful part of our self-narrative. Okay, I know that was dense, so I'm going to say it again, and I have written this into the show notes for reference. Resilience is an ability to recover from or adjust to misfortune, stress, or change in a way that accepts the truth of the suffering, acknowledges the depth of impact the suffering has, and seeks to make the suffering and its impacts a meaningful part of our self-narrative. Clear as mud, right? Okay, let me break it down a bit. And I'm going to start with describing it in this way. I want you to imagine buying a new car. Fun example, right? It's in mint condition and it offers a smooth ride. Now I want you to imagine driving that new car on nothing but beautiful, newly paved highways. Minimal bumps or potholes, maybe a speed bump here or there when you grab your drive through coffee optimal conditions for maintaining the quality of system you have purchased. Now I want you to imagine buying the exact same new mint condition, perfectly running car, but instead of driving it on newly paved highways, I want you to imagine that you're driving it on old pothole filled highways and gravel roads. It faces constant bumps and is put through its paces. If we contrast these two examples, in both scenarios, the car is coming in with the best quality systems in place. It's able to handle the moment-to-moment bumps in the road with relative ease. But it's pretty obvious that the car handling continuous bumps is going to likely require a different level of maintenance than the one riding on Primo paving. Resilience is not about the car we bought. What I mean is that even if we come into frontline work under the best of conditions, with high capacities for resilience in place, we are still running ourselves through a system that includes constant stress and persistent pressure. We cannot expect to make it through without putting in some maintenance. And yes, this maintenance will look different than it likely does for the average person who is riding the nicely paved highway. Resilience doesn't just happen, it's worked at. Also, let's be honest and know that for most of us, we likely are not starting out with the mint condition vehicle, even before putting it through its paces. 
likely we have already suffered some dents and scratches, and our shocks have already put, been put through the test prior to our careers. This is a topic we'll return to another day, but it's important to know that for many, the interest in entering a helping profession like first response and frontline work emerges from our own early experiences that shape having a helper's heart. These experiences often include our own experiences of suffering, loneliness, and adversity. If this is the case, our resilience walking in the door is likely already somewhat compromised, and we need to get really intentional about investing in routine maintenance. I just said a word that is key, and I'm going to encourage you to write it down and put it somewhere you'll see it. Set an alarm on your phone, post it on your dashboard. I don't care where you put it, but put it somewhere. The word is intentional. When we think about the toll of the job, it comes through many moments, moments big and small. The wear is a bunch of bumps that push your system when added up over time. Resilience is not this magical way of thinking positively and just not letting things get to you. That's not realistic and it will fail you. Resilience is about recognizing the terrain you are driving the car on and being intentional about investing in the requisite maintenance along the way. Not waiting until the car is broken down on the side of the road, begging to be put out of its misery, but servicing its needs to keep it trucking along. Resilience is a key principle in creating a strategic action plan because it is the foundation upon which the whole plan is laid. If I don't understand what resilience means and I don't understand the importance of intentional investment in routine maintenance, then I will have difficulty prioritizing myself my needs, and my action plan. It will sound good in theory, but it will not materialize in a way that is meaningful and sustainable if I don't feel really connected to why it matters. Again, we are wanting to craft a strategic action plan, not just a random one. And this means that it needs to be grounded and anchored into a rationale and an understanding of the game and the stakes. Let's revisit our definition one more time. Resilience is an ability to recover from or adjust to misfortune, stress, or change in a way that accepts the truth of the suffering, acknowledges the depth of impact the suffering has, and seeks to make the suffering and its impacts a meaningful part of our self-narrative. So let's break this down. First, resilience is an ability to recover from or adjust. It does not mean being unaffected by springing back as if nothing has happened. And by the way, both the words recover from and adjust to are active words. Resilience asks us to be active participants in a process not just bystanders hoping to come out of the chaos unscathed. Second, when we're engaging in resilience, we are recovering from or adjusting to misfortune, stress, 
or change. What this means is we cannot know our resilience unless we are faced by hardship. Resilience and our capacity for it is defined by the existence of difficulty. So when we face hardship, we need to know that the experience itself does not define my resilience. Rather, my choices and responses to the situation do. Third, when we face misfortune, stress, or change, in order to engage it from a place of resilience, seeking to recover from or adjust to the hardship, we need to do three things. One, we need to accept the truth of the suffering. We have to look at the situation and say, shit, this is tough. To be resilient, we cannot bury our heads in the sand and act as if everything is fine. We can't trick ourselves into believing that. To do so is not resilience and it will not be sustainable. We have to see the situation for what it is and allow ourselves permission to call it by name. A bit like Harry Potter using the name Voldemort. Two, we need to acknowledge the depth of impact the suffering has. So once we say to ourselves and admit to ourselves that shit, this is tough, the next thing is some version of awareness of what the situation is impacting. This might be things like, I can see I'm feeling more fatigued and irritable. I can tell the kids are tiptoeing around me. Or I can feel myself being weighed down by this one, like I can't shake it and all I want to do is sleep to avoid it. These are just a couple of examples, but there are honestly a million variations and it will be personal to you, to the situation and to your context. Third, we need to seek to make the suffering and its impacts a meaningful part of our self-narrative. What this means is that we need to engage with the difficulty and its impacts and work to tell a story about ourselves that helps to put these pieces in a meaningful place. How we go about doing this is, again, extraordinarily personal and will look unique to you, but generally includes specific ways of speaking to yourself about the situation and some actions to help support your needs to make meaning of the hardship. I'm going to walk you through an example of this in my own life to help illustrate what this process can sound like. Because I work almost exclusively with trauma, my own personal risk for vicarious trauma is higher than the average bear. Being witness to not only the harrowing stories of my individual clients, but the greater awareness of the collective suffering of humanity that's represented by their stories can weigh really heavy at times. In an average day, I see five to six clients, each with complex trauma. I do this four days a week while also acting as director of the largest counseling clinic in our area. Listening to stories of torment, literal torture, abuse, and gross neglect can make me disillusioned with the state of humanity, and I can feel hopeless and like anything I'm offering is such a ridiculously tiny drop in the bucket that it has no worth at all. When I feel like this, it's palpable. It feels like I'm walking through water, like everything takes so much more energy. When I feel like this, I will tend to have difficulty being present with my family, and I'll notice more instances where my kids have to say mom like 10 times to get my attention because I'm not really there. 
in these kinds of spaces, I get really intentional. I'm practiced at this now, 10 years in, and tend to notice it far more quickly than I once did. When I do notice it, I call it what it is. And I will say to myself something like, man, life can just be so brutally hard. And I hate that. This tends to be followed by something along the lines of, I can see how this is weighing on me, that it is pushing me into hopeless and helpless and feeling like my efforts are meaningless. And then I move into making it meaningful. I will talk to myself. I actually do this. I will say something like, Lindsay, you know this feeling. You've been here before and you know this is part of the package. Feeling discouraged and helpless sucks. True story. But it also motivates you to keep pushing. Remember, you are not here to try to save the world. You're here to help one person. Focus in, Lindsay. Yes, the world is crazy and brutal. But you also get an inside view of the good moments, the connected moments, the change moments. Anchor into all of these. And once I help remind myself of what I believe and what matters to me, I activate specific strategies that I know support me, like working extra hard to be present with my kids, particularly in moments where they laugh and smile. Those ground me. Seeking connection with friends who get me and my work and are encouragers. And getting to bed on time on a regular basis. Because honestly, I find that this really helps me to manage my wellness. I know that what we've talked about today has been really dense. And so to help you out and to help you have a bit of a visual to help you through this, I've created a PDF infographic that walks you through the definition for resilience and the breakdown we've just covered. I know this is a convoluted topic and I promise we're going to continue talking about how we break it down and a myriad of skills to help us enact the action part of the plan. If you're feeling unsure where to start, I'm going to point you again to the Beating the Breaking Point Indicators Checklist and Triage Guide that I've linked to in the show notes. It has some great suggestions for how to start and some additional recommended resources if you're ready to invest in keeping your metaphorical car on the road. As I mentioned, this is a topic we are going to continue to talk about throughout the series and we'll be looking hard at over the coming weeks and months. I hope you'll stick with me. This week, I hope you can spend some time thinking about the wear and tear your resilience is facing and consider the maintenance routines you either have in place or don't. Again, check out the indicators checklist and triage guide to start implementing or strengthening your maintenance routine to keep you well, both on the job and off. Because breakdowns, both vehicular and mental, are not fun, and strong routine maintenance can help us avoid these on both counts. Until next time, stay safe.